0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are on this pale blue dot that we all live on. My name's Adam Antium, you're the audience, and you're listening to this edition of ATZM Podcasts. I'd like to thank everyone for listening, I really appreciate it. Just the usual announcements uh, for those of you listening to this on YouTube. Uh, If you haven't subscribed to my channel, please do. Uh, And if you want an MP3 version, down below in the video description you'll see my talk shoe link to download all my shows for free. Uh, Also, just the usual plug that I like to give is for uh, the book, uh, The Zeitgeist Movement Defined, Realising a New Train of Thought. It's essentially the comprehensive guide to, to the train of thought that the Zeitgeist Movement advocates. Uh, if you want a copy of this book, uh, you, can, you can find it at uh, the uh You can either download a PDF of it for free, or if you want a physical copy, you can, uh, there's some links for Amazon, Amazon Europe, uh, Europe and bookpatch.com. And you can get those there. I've personally got my physical copy. I actually bought one at uh, one of the London Z-Day events. So you know, say you go to a Z Day event. Chances are, if they're a large chapter, they're also you know selling um, copies of the book. So okay. I got mine there. Um, but that you can do that there. Also, another another announcement. Very happy to say uh, that uh, Chapter Three Threshold, the final short film in my trilogy that i've called the Sweep is now done so you can find that up on youtube if you like just search for chapter three threshold or through my youtube channel uh youtube.com forward slash a-a-u-t-z-m you can find that there um but yeah i'm very pleased that i uh finally got it done uh it's a roller coaster ride akin to any uh sort of psychological thriller i suppose um but it's you know condensed down to about eight odd minutes uh i'm, I'm quite pleased with it see it's even got a little bit of cgi in it as well so um but yeah you can find that there and uh, and i've also entered it into a festival which i should be hoping to hear back from soon um but speaking of festivals, uh, coming up soon is going to be the fifth annual Zeitgeist Media Festival. Uh, the main event um, is in Australia this year. It's in Australia. Um, it's going to be on uh, Saturday, 17th of October 2015 uh, at the Rumpus Room in uh, Brisbane in uh, Queensland in Australia. Uh, but for more information about that, go to www.zeitgeistaustralia.org forward slash zeitgeist-media-festival. Uh, and for info on past events, uh, the Zeitgeist Media Festival, uh, go to, uh, www.zeitgeistmediafestival.org. Uh, just for those of you who don't know, the Zeitgeist Media Festival is essentially a, uh, a gathering of, um, of socially conscious artists, whether it's uh, you know musicians, comedians, filmmakers, uh, painters, whatever, right? And uh, just a big celebration of socially conscious arts, and uh, and also you know each event should uh, function as you know a resource drive of some kind, whether it's a clothes drive, food drive, whatever, right? Um, But yeah, that's the that's the long and short of it. Because uh, arts and uh, you know the the emotional impact of uh, of artwork itself that can offer a sort of key into laying these seeds of thought, at least in a sort of philosophical sense. That yes, it's a good thing that we care about humanity and that we that we. I feel that motivation to share compassion with other people. It's, I mean, it's difficult in our current culture because we're, t- we're taught to intrinsically mistrust people. Or distrust people, sorry. Um, because essentially in the economic system they are your competition. Right? If you have a friend that's also in the same profession as you... Especially if you live in the same area, then you are uh, you are economic uh, opponents. You are economic opponents of each other, and it doesn't matter if you're friends. Your livelihood depends on you screwing that guy over, right? <laughs> and doing better than him. Your livelihood depends on it. Um, that and there's also the profit motive in there as well, but. Uh, that 's why socially conscious art is so important because because artwork, even from you know uh, religious cultures, have been massively uh, awe inspiring i mean the the very the very grandness of particular like melodies and you know ry- and rhythms that uh, certain pieces of religious art uh, music has has had. You know, it, you know, it's, it's not like all religious music is bad music. There is some awesome music that is made by religious people. So it's not necessarily uh, whether any particular approach to art is good or bad per se. It's what sort of things that the music wants to promote in general. You know, what, what sort of uh, seeds of thought can it lay? not just in terms of people thinking about different ways that music is played or different ways that art is expressed but also the different ideas that the that the art expresses but anyway um it is my unfortunate just coming onto um more graver Announcements. It uh, is my unfortunate task to inform you that Desert Island Digs is now no longer our sponsor since the company uh, was forced into bankruptcy. Uh, it turns out that the demographic uh, that was, that it, this appealed to, uh, were actually so antisocial and uh, xenophobic that they prefer to live thousands of miles away from other people on a desert island. Uh, and when, uh, unfortunately, when human beings you know, forced to flee conflict and tyranny, ended up washed up on their island beaches. The residents opted for abandoning their haven from humanity back down the pipe towards the mainland. Um, hopefully, these people can learn that they cannot escape the global problems of humanity uh, because they are solved by us working together. Swings and roundabouts, people. Uh, so, this podcast is brought to you by the pack. The, uh, custom designed information stall pack. Okay, this is, right, this is so interesting. I actually had to ask, uh, for this sponsor. So, say you're an activist for some cause, whether it's for animal rights, environmental issues, social issues, whatever, right? This, uh, is a product that makes it easy as hell to be able to get out there and get your message out. Uh, you first go to their website and uh, go through the customization of your materials, such as a banner, leaflets, and so on. Uh, once that's completed, you will purchase the ActiPack and then it will be sent to you. Uh, the ActiPack comes in a portable case that folds out to be your table and stored in convenient little compartments are all your promotional materials that you've already custom made. Um, voila! You can't make information stalls any easier than that. So go to ww.theactipack.com forward slash offer and type in the code name Adam595 and you can get a 10% discount. Uh, I myself have a prototype of the ActiPack, and uh, you know what? It's damn handy. You know, I couldn't recommend it enough. Um also uh the uh, this podcast is brought to you by my triad of sponsorship providing the points of preservation for this podcast um my triad at the moment still consisting of Russell Brand, Caroline Lucas MP and Sir Patrick Stewart. All these individuals uh, ladies and gentlemen have agreed to co-fund uh this podcast uh with the uh with the condition that Right at the end of their obligation, they spend at least 10 minutes on this show talking about science and sustainability when applied to society. So, uh, I'd just like to personally thank those. Uh, I will be tweeting those guys when uh, when this YouTube upload is up. Uh, for those of you who who enjoy this podcast, please also consider... Smoke signal, tweet, email, whatever you got to do to thank these individuals Russell Brand, Caroline Lucas, and Sir Patrick Stewart uh, for sponsoring this show. Because the more of us that thank them, the more likely they will be to come onto the show. Uh, So, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. But anyway, on to the topic of topic du jour, as it were, is the 10th outing into questions that I've had. So let's dive into these right now. Question one. Do you think your current methods are apt or could they be changed to be more effective? Okay. Okay, well, there's there's always room for improvement. I mean, no one's perfect. And uh, considering that we live in an emergent reality one must always be striving to improve our methods i mean um when i first started out uh, i have to admit that i was more fanatical than i was a, uh, a you know an appropriate advocate you know and it, it took me some time to to settle into uh, a calmer and more measured approach you know But in the name of improving and expanding my effectiveness uh i've personally experimented with many different approaches uh, to activism even to the point of conducting an impromptu q a session on the train from london uh, for a group of strangers you know there are a few approaches which have proven effective and as such uh, i've kept them in my repertoire such as free hugs megaphoning Have I always been 100% effective with them? Not always. I have learned a lot of this on the fly, actually. Uh, However, they have proven to be some of my best tools. So as long as they continue to work, I will continue to use them. Um, I am, however, always on the lookout for new ideas for ways I can communicate and promote a a sustainable train of thought in a more effective way. I mean, that's... That's the whole idea with uh with employing a, a principle of science into a lot of your thinking. You know, when you pr- when you start to develop a, a scientific world view as it were, well, your decisions are more based around scientific um ideas such as, you know, testing um of ideas, replicate seeing if you can replicate results. Um, always uh question things you know, be, uh, be open to letting new data replace old, disproven data. You see, this is where the Socratic method really shows its effectiveness. Just for those of you who don't know, the Socratic method is the practice of asking questions to inspire discussion and further questions and thus more active understanding on both people's parts. Uh, or hopefully, on both people's parts uh so it 's not to convert anyone but just to have an honest conversation without trying to force any ideology I mean kids have a natural inclination for inquiry uh I remember you know the the kind of things um <laughs> the kind of questions i would I would ask as a kid you know, it's, it's amazing you know my mum had had an answer <laughs> um so I think teaching and encouraging Socr- Socratic questioning to children of all ages can really hone and maintain our will to question and understand the world around us from like formative years up, you know. Uh, now, sure, you can guide the conversation with questions uh, and you can ask them in ways which expose them to different ways of thinking. Uh, but you 're not arguing or actively describing your beliefs in the hope that they will agree you know you 're not trying to foist your opinion um, and this can easily escalate into ideological conflict where the person has say say the person has a belief and it has been exposed uh, to a foreign or perhaps even conflicting belief now since it 's easier for the human brain. Uh, to remain with beliefs that it already has, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's comfort in the familiar. Uh, especially if any belief it is exposed to factually replaces an existing belief uh, because that entails uh, work of undoing, unlearning, and relearning. With most things, it's a case of building upon the beliefs and knowledge uh, that we have. You know we we are very rarely relearning how to breathe, how to speak, even the configuration of our place of work. You know not many people I suspect went to their place of work this morning, expecting to relearn their way around the the same office uh, but coming back to the point, uh, present a person with an argument uh, and they will start thinking about whether they agree, whether it comports to what they believe. And, uh, if it's a reasonable amount of effort for them at that point in time to change that particular belief, uh, you know, change that out for your update, uh, then they will take the information on board to digest. If, if those criteria, uh, are met, then they can. You know, it's, it's what we co- it's what we call, are they Oh, are they particularly open to that, uh, that kind of idea? Are they in that receptive frame of mind? Um, but with Socratic questioning, uh, when you ask someone a question, they are generating the answer. You're not telling them the answer. They're telling you the answer. right? And it might not be the answer you want or that you hope to hear because that's irrelevant. You know it's their answer at that point in time okay and you have to respect that you know for for one thing uh their their answer is an indicator for their understanding on a topic and also how far this person will discuss this topic with you and uh, and you have to respect those things uh i myself i know ne- I, I never started off with that particular approach you know i had to learn this in addition to unlearning a lot of unproductive and, uh, and negative thought patterns uh you know i would i would, you know the different thought and also the thought patterns i'd have uh to express uh to express into any social situation uh this is why i think self-development is critical to effective activism And i'll tell you what uh, another tool uh, which I I try to apply as much as possible is nonviolent communication. This um, this means of being aware of human needs and the will to work to meet them in regards to how we communicate with each other. You know, if uh, if we're not acknowledging of the needs of others uh, when communicating with them, how effective are you going to be? not just in the task of planting seeds of thought, but also to have connected with and honoured them for the unique person that they are. When we are more patient, empathic and kind with our language, it enables us to share social relations in a non-combative manner. So much we see uh, around us people talking at each other and using manipulative and forceful language or violent language to get what we want even if it's just to affect the other person in some negative way and there's a reason why we react in the ways that we do our actions reflect reflect our states of mind due to met or unmet needs the more basic the need the more desperate the action and when we are aware of this phenomena and work to respect the needs of others and want to help them, so we can all have our needs met. We have, well, what the late Marshall Rosenberg calls making life wonderful. If you wish to find out more, I'll pop some links in the uh, in the video description about Rosenberg's work and uh, the Center for Nonviolent Communication. Okay, so question two: Besides the podcast and the free hugs. What changes have you brought about? Hmm now this is a difficult question to answer in, in principle. I mean seeing as I've been active for a few years and it's virtually impossible to tell exactly what kind of effects I've had, like how many people have I actually reached? Um could there even could there even be such a way to, to measure that? I mean, you'd have to have access to so many databases, but then again, that can't even account for word of mouth. So how can you measure that? Interesting. Um, But we need to remember that uh, these are ideas that oftentimes need to pass through layers of indoctrination and backwards rationalisation intact in order to then be considered so with that in mind uh, you cannot expect to turn anyone around on a dime Uh, these ideas even sometimes take years for the person to come around to them and even then they might still have to struggle with initial stages of of awareness you know there's um, (laughs) this is so critical to understand because we're not taught uh, critical thinking, we're not taught how to think, we're taught what to think Um. And that's why sometimes this can be uh, very difficult because you know these uh, unproductive ways of thinking become ingrained like any dominant way of thinking. But you know we all have to have to go through that initial painful awareness phase. Some, sometimes it's it's painful mo- or mo- mostly it's uncomfortable to uh, to go through a change of paradigm. It's um, they can feel alienating. You know, I mean, I've, I've spoken with quite a few people who, after a year or so of mulling it over from time to time, uh, they've actually come back to me and either apologised for being reaction uh, reactionary at the time uh, of me giving them these insights or merely stated that, um, that I had a point and that they will keep an open mind to these ideas in the, in the future. You know, I even have friends now who are now sounding more like me uh, just before I discovered the zeitgeist movement. It's it's weird. At which time, uh, I was definitely doing more than my fair share of complaining. Um, Nowadays, I go one better and I talk about solutions as well. Uh, But it's really interesting to see uh, people follow the same kinds of twists and turns on their way towards uh, knowledge as as i did you know it's it's like any learning process you'll have certain phases uh where you concentrate more energy on a particular issue or skill and you'll also have phases where you switch it up you know uh, just because most of us uh, are on differing levels of awareness uh, doesn't mean we can't help each other up and it doesn't mean that anyone's superior or inferior Right, I mean, anyone who may be superior to you on a particular subject will be inferior to another person on another subject. Right? So it does not matter. It's irrelevant. Um, as an individual, uh, I know that I haven't changed much of the world. Um, however, one thing I do know is that I've changed a damn sight more than I ever did or could before I was actually armed with the correct information and the uh, the appro- the appropriate approach. Yeah, you know, try saying that five times with the teeth in. Um, and the right direction to aim for. But no, I, it's it's always been on like little things that are that are easy to manage. You know, <laughs> now I'm asking uh, asking people to think about a completely different way of living. Um <laughs> You know, see it can be I mean I've you know, I've parodied making it a dramatic thing. I mean it's it's not always such a dramatic thing because people can always sort of like put it out of their mind or just like change the subject or something whenever they you know, people aren't sort of like faced and, and backed into a corner with uh, with these kinds of ideas, because that's not the approach that we use. Um, and if they do encounter this uh, this train of thought with that kind of approach, then that's very negative for the uh, for the aims of TzM. If uh, if TzM hopes to succeed, we need to be nonviolent with our communications. But when you come to uh, the realization that the burden of responsibility Uh, for changing the world does not lie on anyone's individual shoulders but rather on all of us you will hopefully be less and less discouraged and frustrated when a single activist's efforts don't magically lift us into a better world you know when when you place too high of an expectation upon yourself for something that you haven't done as much as other things, or and maybe as a result are not as good as in in this area. If you place too high of an expectation on yourself, your natural level of skill in that area is relatively low, so you're less likely to succeed. And when uh, and when you don't succeed because you have that high expectation, you think, "Oh, failure! I'm a failure." But no the responsibility ultimately lies equally on all of our shoulders, but also on none of our shoulders either at the same time, because we didn't choose to be born into this world, so therefore we didn't uh, we had this uh, responsibility foisted upon us um, but we are alive and thus we have the opportunity to affect change so i can I consider it to be. Uh, a moral choice to actually start taking at least some right action to create a better world right um, but this is without a doubt uh, the most difficult transition that humanity has had to face yet so if we fail then it can be understandable considering what we're up against but don't let that be excuse Uh, Don't let that be an excuse to slack off, alright? We don't exactly have forever. Uh, That's another paradox uh, about activism at, at this point in the future. We must both recognize that we need to create the shift as soon as possible while we still can, but at the same time, we have to have the patience and non pushy demeanor. We have to have that non violent approach. So, to not put someone on edge even before you've promoted this view. See, that idea is so counter to the world we've used to living in uh, that it's sometimes taken as extremely offensive. So, yeah, anyway, question three. Uh, What are your own hopes for the future and how do you hope to achieve them? Okay, I'd say my ultimate goal is uh, to become self-sustaining, you know, off the grid uh, in the sense of... Um you know, actually having a self-sustaining dwelling uh, of my own and uh, you know living as self-sufficiently as possible, uh, but you know generating my own energy, growing most of my own food, you know that sort of thing. Uh, the more I can alleviate my own need for the system, the better, and at the same time, doing so acts as an example that it can be done. Right? I dare say maybe there's a couple of, uh, of people on YouTube that have done video series of how they've constructed an earthship, for instance, or some other self-sustaining dwelling. But as for how it can be done, I'm still working on that you know <laughs> uh, it will most likely involve buying a piece of land or something similar, uh, maybe even a piece of woodland you know the, the paradox of using money. To escape money is not lost on me. Okay, that's that's one of the that's, uh, that's a paradox that a lot of uh, a lot of TZM activists do primarily come up against. Uh, in actually, in the form of an ad hominem. Where people say, "Oh, you want you want us to have a system without money, but you use money to buy that car that you drive. You use money to f- uh, to buy the diesel that goes in its tank." No, 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 no. But they're just expressing a paradox of uh, of post-monetary activism, um, or you know, so, uh, I don't know post post scarcity. Advocation. I mean, it's, uh, it's that, kind of, that kind of thinking that, you know, we currently exist in the monetary paradigm and we have to use the monetary paradigm uh, for the time being while it exists because using it does uh, put us in a better position of being able to get out, get out of the system. Think about it like a rocket that needs to get to space. In order to get out, um, out of uh, Earth's atmosphere, it has to get out of Earth's gravity well. So if you think about the gravity well being the, uh, the amount of money that it would cost to purchase the necessary resources to get off the grid, that um, and depending on how many people. As for career, um, I'm currently working on that. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd love to go into teaching. I've been researching into uh, the necessary qualifications uh, that, I, that I would need to get. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be... Uh, there's there's a lot changing in my life at the moment. So it's, uh, it's a matter of, you know, getting that in order so I can then start really um, pursuing the kind of life that I want. So, you know, in a sense... Having to uh get some sort of like you know steady job or career that's paradoxically part of how you outgrow money <laughs> you know where i i just uh I just appreciate that yes it is a paradox and uh and I'm fine with it you know because there's nothing uh there's nothing that I myself can person uh, you know i can't just start printing my my own money and just saying here you <laughs> I I don't I want to I don't want to use your money. I'm going to buy my groceries with these instead. Right? Can't just do that. So I have to, you know, play the game that that I'm in in as ethical a way as possible. You know, so so much is uh, up for sale and is uh, is tainted when uh, when you have a monetary system because the more things that can be exploited the more money can be made the more industries can be created more jobs can be made and created so you have to see the environment around you as a mass of things to exploit and process you know and consume and use for what you can that's that's the whole ethos of capitalism you have to walk that tightrope of uh, of integrity <laughs> Whether you can have any kind of uh, substantive amount of uh, of integrity while operating in a monetary system in a manner that can gain you the, the necessary resources which you can then swap for, you know, exchange for your mean, uh, resources that you carry on living, I'm not sure. But I'm working on that. Anyway, question four. Uh, with people petitioning and protesting against corporate takeovers of local businesses and areas would it be too quick to ask if people are beginning to become unsatisfied with corporationism um, not entirely sure what co- uh, I, I assume corporationism is just the uh, the belief in an advocation of corporations as a means of doing things um, I wouldn't, but no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's too quick at all. Uh, the the amount of people uh, vocally unsatisfied with the system are easy enough to hear, uh, and I think you know the dissatisfaction runs even deeper than that. You know that that there are enough people to create a massive voice of dissatisfaction, um, and especially with uh, things like the internet. Yeah, the amount of uh, so, uh, self-claimed social critics on YouTube. Amazing. Um, but especially in a country like the UK, where it's almost as though idle complaining is a national pastime. <laughs> you <know>? um, <clears throat> as a side note, uh, one thing I love to do uh, to de- derail this in, uh, in other people is to ask them what they advocate as a solution and most of the time they will either shut up or they will actually start talking about what they think are solutions so it gets people off of a complaining uh, bent and then onto a thinking all right how what do we do about this problem Um, because at least then the person you're engaging with is now adding to the conversation now you know uh, this is again where Socratic questioning comes in as a good tool of communication. You know, Talk to them, talk to people, ask questions, take on their answers and see how far you can express this world view with people through these interactions. All this becomes possible because you've listened to them and made mental notes of your common ground with them. Upon that common ground is where you plant the seeds of thought. And just as a side tangent, this is where we approach another paradox of activism. The very practice is one of a forward motion, of action-taking, of self-development, questioning, learning, loving. And it's so damn easy to get caught up in the emotional motivation that also builds. And at the same time, you have to adapt your approach in as relatable as possible and be as non-violent as possible. In some ways, some of your thought processes may become confused uh, because you're both taking in information and any follow-up questions have to be informed and dynamic. You can't always write and read from a script, even though you know you can small chunk learned and structured thoughts into a conversation. And they should be the muscle of the conversation, as opposed to the skeleton, if you see the analogy. (coughs) Anyway, question five. Um, I've got a question for regarding understanding the RBE. Uh, Most of the people on this planet are religious. So when speaking to these people, uh, do they really care because God to them is more important? Hmm, uh, I guess when it comes to religious beliefs, uh, they are specifically designed uh, to be emotional things that are defended against any contrary information. Um, it, it depends what their religion has taught them in terms of our relationship to this God and our relationship to the planet. You know, obviously our relationship to the planet can be easily measured, uh, and from that relationship... Uh, we can tell that there are actual functional dependencies built into our biology. That we call them life needs. Right? We have a pair of lungs which require oxygen from the environment, uh, which is produced by the trees. You know, the, the lungs are the means that the body gets oxygen from the environment. But the oxygen, that comes from the trees, which are then produced from the seeds in the soil. The seeds uh, the soil, which uh, does not need, need to be poisoned by fracking fluid, for instance, you know, you get the picture. Uh, in terms of Christianity, uh, it depends whether we were given uh, the earth to have dominion over or whether we take the uh, on earth as it is in heaven idea from the Lord's Prayer, which implies that we need to be proper stewards of the earth. I mean, this also bubbles up a more delicious question, which is, do you think that God has a monetary system in heaven? If a God has to take precedence over the very earth we live on and requ- uh, and require for our very survival then such a deity is unworthy of the worship that it demands. Anyway, question six. If someone told you that science is based on faith, faith uh, meaning you believe in science, what would be your response to that person? In a nutshell... Uh, I think Tim Minchin's quote from his poem Storm sums it up pretty well. when he said that science adjusts its views based on what's observed. Faith is the denial of observation so that belief can be preserved. On a certain level, this, this claim that science is based on faith or requires it is an attempt at levelling the playing field. You know, the reason could be because they recognise their way of thinking has less explanatory power than yours. Uh, in which case, they would be trying to make your way of thinking just as flimsy as theirs, uh, and thus, you know, we're all being equally stupid. Or it could just be because your frame of reference is so foreign to them that they would feel better as long as you were looking at it from the same way they are. Uh, this is what some apologists, uh, particularly Christian and Muslim, have done. Uh, that they uh, say, that you've taken, uh, the book, uh, say that you have taken the holy book. Sorry, that you have to take the holy book on its own word, and from a perspective of wanting to believe anyway, and it will make sense to you. Well. of course if you approach a particular claim with a will to believe it any flaws in its premises are more likely to be filtered out of your perception <laughs> it's uh, it's known in self-development as a selective focus right? Uh, or as critical thinkers will call it confirmation bias right? now obviously this is perfectly understandable we humans have learned through trial and error and it's just an unreasonable expectation on the brain to constantly be re-evaluating and switching out beliefs. You know, we have to have some firm, reliable understandings about the universe in order to navigate it with any confidence. The trick is to be sort of doing both at the same time. This is another paradox of activism, especially if it entails the advocation of a scientific worldview. On one hand, you have to uh, remain open to having your current beliefs updated, but whenever we we can reaffirm what is proven to be demonstrably true uh, at any point we have to Take that under advisement as well, because that has been demonstrated. But anyway, question seven. Uh, What would you say to someone who told you that human wants are infinite? Well, one one of the logic bombs, as I call them, that I like to use about that are that uh, wants are what are desired, needs are what are required. Or I might have said it the other way around, but either way it works. I mean, needs are required, wants are desired. And a desire isn't you know, if you don't have a desire fulfilled, you're not gonna you know, that isn't life threatening. But something that is a need, when that is taken away, then that is threatening to the to the very well being of of the individual. Um but I guess human i mean human wants they can be created by many means as uh, something perpetually unfulfillable that nothing will ever be enough this is the, i mean this is the kind of um this is the kind of idea that uh, that marketing and advertising uh, goes upon creating the uh, creating these wants that will that always need uh you know more and more you know as uh, <laughs> i mean if if you think about it it's actually creating what is called in psychiatric circles as type a personality disorder um but i mean this is also the idea behind the profit motive you know you can never have enough profit um so the human brain is essentially vulnerable to the idea of something that isn't even necessary for life, or even destructive to life, being perceived as a life need. You know, it's easy for us to conflate the two. This is what, you know. as I said, this is what I call the conflation of both needs and wants. I like to say that as I said earlier, that needs are what are required, wants are what are desired. But to conflate the two, then you've got problems. With this formula, you shouldn't be surprised when a mother and daughter become obsessed with submitting themselves in multiple expensive plastic surgery to look just like Katie Price and have it all sugar fun, all, all financed by a sugar daddy, Whereas, uh, as they're otherwise known as... Provider males. Yeah, when we sh- we shouldn't be surprised, <laughs> you know. I I find it uh, culturally disgusting um, that uh, that these uh, and I and I feel a massive empathy for for them because they've they've submitted themselves as not people within themselves but uh, but a person who sees himself as a fetal form of a likeness of someone else you know so, i mean they're not they're not saying i'm actually the real katie price they're not pretending to actually be that person but they want to copy them and take what they uh, what they value in that person Unto themselves, and while that's an admirable uh, thing to an extent, um, if you're sacrificing your own individuality for the sake of imbuing it with someone else's look, then you're abandoning who you are and you're not growing as a person. And you know, I, I, I feel a huge empathy for these two women because of that, uh, but when When we see past the superficial layers of rationalisation that are created for these overblown behavioural patterns, we recognise that the application of infinite wants is just ridiculous. It's impossible. I mean, who craves uh, for absolutely everything that exists on a planet of finite resources? Is this a sustainable view, value to have? This this idea is even re- ridiculous on another level. If if once are infinite, then there really is no limit to what a person would desire. You know, do you constantly desire for fe- uh, for fecal matter? Yeah, you know, I want fecal matter all around me. No, you don't want that. <laughs> so obviously, there is some limit to uh, to human desires right but anyway question eight if someone said support our troops our brave troops what would you say okay uh well first off i'd I'd ask them why you know why should we support the troops and not many people actively recognize why the soldiers are being trained to kill and die it's certainly not for the kind of damage that having served in the military can cause to the human being not just you know the human being serving but the human beings affected by their service you know the kinds of knock-on effects of having been exposed to some of the worst things that humanity is capable of and even being under orders to perpetuate the same kinds of horrors most likely you will be told that uh, they fought for queen and country, or fight for our freedom. However, if that were the case, if they were serving a truly massive charge of protection, having the biggest slice of governmental funding to power their industry, then why do so many veterans not get the help they need to overcome the horrors they've been faced with, and how to reintegrate into a supposedly civilised society. Could it be that the establishment itself is using those who serve for their own ends and then discard them when their service is up? The system itself uses all of us to prop it up with our economic activity, our tacit consent, and even ideological support. Now this would be fine if the system itself worked for everyone and was sustainable. Is that the case with the current monetary market system? There's also this idea that uh, that when we realise that someone has served, we must thank them for their service. I mean, it's, it's one thing I've noticed in Adam Kokesh's videos. You know, people would say, oh, thank you for your service, when they realise um, he served with the Marines. Um, I can understand why they're doing it, because... When you realise you're talking to a serviceman or veteran, you feel obliged to parrot the societally uh, encouraged line, thank you for your service, which is, as you can imagine, a way to honour the fact that they went through something difficult and dangerous, all while supposedly protecting something larger than themselves, which is true to In a certain way, I mean, the military, the establishment, the global map of military activity is much larger than the single soldier. But that doesn't mean that the larger thing they were fighting for is anything honourable. For example, deploying troops to take by force and guard the oil fields in the Middle East. Deploying troops to urban areas during times of social unrest in order to restore order. Or, as I like to call it, to force compliance. Even using soldiers, uh, you know, putting them in front of a drone control system and have them remotely bombing buildings and killing innocent people and children under orders because force is supposedly how we get shit done. And then there's, there's, no, uh, as another slight tangent, uh, we have the gall to complain about refugees who are desperately trying to get into our country to take our jobs and ruin our country, the news feeds, uh, the news, it feeds that hate. You know, even interviewing average Joes from my hometown of Gillingham, telling the reporters uh, about a group of refugees that tried to get into their car, and then later on they hit their child in the face you know th- this is of course to fuel the indignant xenophobic view uh, that if you have problems so bad that you have to flee your entire life then you better take it somewhere else because we don't want any of it we don't want we don't want anything to do with your suffering because it reminds us that there are massive problems in the world that we actually have an opportunity to do something about at any point in our lives, even if it's just the smallest thing, we have that opportunity. But we think, nah, can't be bothered. You know, and um, you notice that a lot of people who say, oh, we should start helping the people at home first. A lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time, the kinds of people that say that, they're the kind of people that wouldn't even care anyway. These are the kind of people who uh just prop up the uh the system and they don't actually have a uh, a good communal social interest about them they just think oh no yeah we we need to sort out our problems you know in other words you know i want the governments to be able to solve the problems that are directly affecting me first before you know uh <laughs> but um but then of course when bodies of drowned children wash up on beaches suddenly we stop calling them migrants as much or immigrants but we actually start viewing them as human beings it's so weird that the that the media and our politicians need something as dramatic as an a photo of a young infant boy. Washed up dead. On a beach. Because. <laughs> because you know. His parents wanted him to. Uh, wanted to get him away. From the bombing. That. Um, who's bombing Syria at the moment. But yeah. So- suddenly we see a child washed up on the beach. And we think Oh well no they're human beings we start seeing them as people uh, and desperate human beings who have more in common with every one of us than how we differ we suddenly start to actually recognise that they are fleeing war-torn and tyranny-gripped nations you know the, the kind of conditions created by the conflict you know often military around the world So to summarise, we have swallowed this idea of honouring those who put their lives on the line and taking the lives of others, but when the repercussions of that bloodshed bloodshed comes back to haunt us, we don't like it. So there's only two ways to actually support the troops, as far as I can tell. Either bring them home, or mount a campaign to completely alter the nature of their job to that of problem-solver and negotiator and all the support jobs that would that would require uh that to be global in scope wouldn't that be a there you go wouldn't that be a a good incarnation of the military either that or you know the TV show robot wars take that idea <laughs> and replace that uh replace human involved warfare with that just have people piloting Mindless, automaton machines. Right, but if the machines become self-aware, then you boys got to figure out somewhere, somehow else to figure out your differences. (laughs) Anyway, question nine: Uh, What are your views on genetic modification for means of improving humans? Um, you know, actually, I haven't fully formed a solid opinion about even genetic um, modification or manipulation, let alone human genetic manipulation. Um, I recognise that it's an exciting possibility uh, and it can make things very, very interesting. Uh, however, there are inherent dangers with doing that sort of thing, especially at first within a monetary system, because the kinds of modifications that are advantageous to any particular profit-making venture are the ones going, that are going to be applied, and that's not necessarily anything that has a a a, a, uh, a pro-human approach, because profit itself is not pro-human; it's anti-human. <laughs> um, but uh, but in terms of vanity, uh, that that's a major pitfall of using this with our current values you know and on top of that uh the fact that money itself uh would make this into the biggest catalyst for creating an elite group of in effect superhumans while all those who can't afford it will become physically uh, a physically inferior underclass um some even think even a subspecies of human eventually um this is very dangerous and it's a good thing that you know right now it is actually illegal because if it were legalized before we outgrew the need for money then essentially it would become a eugenics wet dream Uh, so does vanity serve a beneficial role in human thinking and would genetic manipulation be the perfect thing to make that spin out of control I mean I've seen no evidence that a human society is better off if they value vanity because I think a human's value comes from the kind of person they are and the greatness they strive to achieve and become. You know, when we When we seek self-improvement over self-adulation, when we seek social interest over self-interest, when we do these things not only do we make the world a better place? But we're even able to do that because we've worked towards and adopted a position of higher value as a member of society and as a person. When humans embrace the goodness and potential goodness, uh, then it makes vanity completely pointless. There's no need for it. When, you know, it's uh, a bit like the the self-development sort of principle... That uh, the difference between uh, confidence and arrogance is that with confidence, you know, there's uh, there's the value there. With arrogance, there's there's no value. It's a bit like uh, you know a box uh, saying having the having the word gold printed on it, and uh, one box has gold on it and it's and it's empty. And the other box has gold on it and it's actually got gold in it. Um. But yeah, there's that. Question 10. In an NLRBE, I assume there wouldn't be any armies or any police. So what would happen if there was a situation where the people needed an army or something? For example, an uprising of some sort to an alien invasion of the planet. Okay, well largely this depends on what stage of the transition that any of this occurs Um, you see the the uh, the shift from here to there is subtle at times and takes place over a large period of time so it's likely that we will go through certain phases uh, you know where different conditions even different values are prevalent for a while and then fade away very much like what we know today as trends and so forth. There are certain periods of time which exhibit particular cultural characteristics. You know, For instance, if, uh, if I were to ask you what, what the difference was between the 60s and the 90s, you're not necessarily going to give the objective answer of 30 years. You're going to describe the culture and events during that time, most likely. It is entirely possible that during the transition to an NLRBE that there is a phase uh, of different sections of the population running out of food due to breakdown of supply lines, um, the existing supply lines, or even maybe preliminary supply lines that try to um, get put out but don't have enough you know, either research, resource support or, or, or uh, social support. Uh, and hopefully, if the necessary social and resource resource support is active by then, uh, then people can reach out to those people with help on getting those needs met and ensure they become self sufficient. Uh, while we cr- work to create the kind of system that is accessible by every human being to provide a high and liberated standard of living those in need are being helped so they can connect with and enjoy the benefits of a system that are also contributing towards the improvement of. Not with money, but with ideas, with usage stats and feedback. At the most passive level and, uh, and with the most active level being the contribution, contribution of time, expertise and positivity. So should we advocate for armies to defend us with force or should they be problem solvers to deal with the reason why we are being attacked in the first place? If the phase we're talking about uh, is when we have shed the last remnants of the monetary paradigm, then there will likely not be anyone around who thinks that building empires through force is a good way to live very much like there there probably most likely isn't many people around these days that uh, that think that uh, you know sneezing on a wound will help heal it you know that that was a belief back in the bronze age but it's not a belief now because we know more and and we've We've grown into better knowledge and applied it. Um, if the context was uh, before we fully transition, uh, then a single commune without any kind of technological form of defense uh, would be overrun. Uh, like a stronghold in the middle of a zombie outbreak, you know, it would just be overrun. This is why off grid communities need to be networking on a larger scale level. This this way it turns a scattered number of communes into a node network that survives better due to higher numbers, resources to utilise, and larger geographical area covered between them. Uh, When such a network begins to spread to form new nodes spreading in all directions, it becomes viral and even malignant, to use uh, cancer term. This, in a sense, is uh, is the physical beginnings, or the potential physical beginnings, of a natural law resource-based economy. In terms of defence against an alien invasion, then I'd say we probably have, uh, you know, a good enough uh, means to communicate, at least at first, outwards towards a. Uh, you know maybe some potential uh potential form of life that is coming that is coming over here to do whatever um but we i mean we have the uh the technological means and and the understandings about you know um weaponry and defense to apply that in an outward fashion if need be for the purposes of direct self-defense if we were starting to be attacked by a visiting alien species then you know we're we're not necessarily going to say all right okay we give up we give up destroy us because no species that ever did that ever survived it's the species that have you know engaged that self-defense that have always survived so, not that I advocate any kind of violence. Uh, you know, initially, uh, violence has to be. You know, it can't be anything other than a last resort for self-defense, and uh, and I think we have more than the uh, the technological and uh, an actual technical know-how to uh, to get that done. Uh, anyway, that's uh, that's all the questions uh, that I'm going to answer for this time. Thank you very much for, for your questions. Make sure you keep them coming in. Uh, just to remind you again, this podcast was brought to you by the ActiPack. It's a uh, portable uh, sort of like information store that uh, that you can customize yourself and get sent to you. Uh, if you go to www.actiPack.com forward slash offer, and, uh, you can enter the code name Adam595 and get 10% discount because that is awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, considering how much they charge, yeah. Um, but this podcast was also brought to you by my triad of sponsorship, providing the points of preservation for this podcast. They've each agreed to co-fund this podcast. Um, in exchange for the uh, just the act of, at the end of their obligation, to come on for at least 10 minutes to discuss science and sustainability when applied to society. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, Russell Brand, Caroline Lucas MP, and Sir Patrick Stewart. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for providing this money. Russell gives me, uh, sends me money in uh, wet plastic bags that I have to dry on the radiator. Uh, Caroline Lucas uh, sends me money via carrier pigeon, which sometimes gets shot down by a neighbour. So, you know, sometimes she has to put little Kevlar vests on them. And uh, Patrick Stewart actually beams me my money uh, using his uh, replicator 3D printer. So... Thank you very much, guys, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, I also encourage you to thank my triad of sponsorship for, for providing the uh, points of preservation. The more we thank them, the more likely they will be to come on to actually talk to us. So send them an email, tweet, smoke signal, email, whatever you've got to do. To thank these individuals for coming on uh, the usual plug again is also for the zeitgeist movement defined a uh, realizing a new train of thought if you go to www.thezeitgeistmovement.com forward slash orientation you can uh, order a copy f- uh, for relatively uh, small price if you want a physical copy or if you want a pdf of it you can download it for free but that's me thank you very much ladies and gentlemen Uh, Thank you for your questions and I hope you all have a wonderful life. Take care.